If you would, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, please, if you're, if you're following along, and I absolutely encourage you to do so. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one on your, in the pew in front of you, and I'm going to look ahead here and see where it's found. It's on 978 in your blue Bibles, and that's where Ephesians chapter 4 is. Well, I'm going to ask you a question, and you don't need to answer out loud because I just want you to, to think of this in your mind. There's a saying I'm sure that you have heard, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. It's a proverb that's attributed to St. Ambrose, and it, and it means to follow the traditions or the customs or the lifestyles of those who you're around or those who you're going to visit. Now, let me just give you the bottom line. Basically, it's, it's an encouragement to conform. Conform to the world around you. Well, how so? Question, how so? If you're among those who are sophisticated with the, the hoi polloi, play the part. Play the part. If you're among, maybe closer to what I am, the great unwashed, <laughs> lower yourself to that level. Talk racing, I guess. That's the great unwashed. That's what we do. If you're among unbelievers, act like them. No matter what, no matter what, don't stand out. Don't stand out, at least if you want to be successful in the world. Is that really a true assessment? Think with me. Most people who are successful, they stand out. They stand out. But know and understand this. When in Rome, do as the Romans do, and everything that I've said up to that, saying is wicked. It's wicked. It's ungodly. It's unbiblical. It's against Christ and His teachings. Now, I understand. I understand the temptation. I understand the, the pull of conforming to the world because it can be advantageous. You can be liked. It often opens doors. But concerning your spiritual life, conforming to the world's ways can be fatal. Fatal. That's why Paul begins the next section of Ephesians by saying, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The saints of Ephesus were Gentiles, which means there were non-Jews, most of them were non-Jews, who had once lived like Gentiles. They had once lived like those around them. But now their lives were completely different. They had been changed. They had been made alive in Christ. They were no longer dead in their trespasses and sin. They weren't dead anymore. They were made alive through Christ. 
They had called to be a disciple. They had been called to follow Christ, whatever that meant, whatever that, wherever that led. And what it leads to is holiness, to live in holiness before the Father. They were to live, to walk as Jesus did. They were to be in the world, but not of the world, just as we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Paul is challenging the believers in Ephesus and us that new life equals a new lifestyle. New life equals a new lifestyle. Out of respect to the Word of God, would you stand with me as I read this morning's passage? It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, and it begins at verse 17. This is the Word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may we understand what it is calling us to do, and with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, be able to continue to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I pray these things in Your name, Father. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul wrote these things concerning his master plan of salvation. And they were things that we absolutely needed to know, and they allow us to understand the spiritual realities that are given to us. We're given to us the great blessings. Every blessing, spiritual blessing we could possibly need has been given to us. Well, how have we been blessed? Again, I reiterate, with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen before the world began. We've been predestined for adoption as sons and daughters into His kingdom. We've been saved through faith, not by works. So, after we've been saved, we would do good works. We aren't saved by doing them, but we're saved so we can do them. How now that we are one body in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, combined together in His body, the church. And at the beginning of chapter 4, it seems so long ago, March 13th to be exact, He taught us about unity, how we needed to be unified with one another, the whole body of Christ. And that's Verses 1 through 16 could be explained by that. One word, unity. And that's definitely different than those who are outside the church. From this point forward, 
From this point forward in the book of Ephesians, Paul now is going to be giving a bunch of how-tos and must-dos. This is the part of the, the book where we're going, okay, finally the application. And some of these applications are going to be pretty sensitive, but they're good. Now hear me, please. I hope we know this truth. The Bible was written to be obeyed, not just to be studied. It's written to be obeyed. That's why he writes, now this I say. It could easily be translated therefore or wherefore. Because of all these things from chapters 1 through 3 and the first part of chapter 4, because of all these things, what Christ has done for you, this is what we need to do for Him. He's given His life. We need to give our lives. We aren't only to be hearers of the Word, but doers. Well, in verses 17 through 19, Paul is saying, since we are alive in Christ, not dead, since we are alive in Christ and not dead in our sins, believers are to avoid the old lifestyle. That's that. There's one of the no's, the not do's. Avoid the old lifestyle. And when he, I hope I don't trigger anybody by saying this, he begins the last part of this book by playing a trump card. That's a wild card. You know, I'm trigger, I don't want to trigger you, Trump. I'm, I'm sorry. It's trying to be relevant. He's saying that this isn't coming from his own opinion. He's not saying, you know, I really thought about this, and the more I thought about it, this is I kind of think that this really needs to happen, and this is the way we need to act. No, it's from a divine authority. He begins with some negative commands. It's from the Lord. By negative, I don't mean that it's a negative thing for him to say, but it's negative in the things that we're not supposed to do. Don't do these things. Verse 17, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. Now to walk is the Jewish equivalent to live. It's what lifestyle you portray. It's what you live when you go home, when you go to work, when you go out to the field, when you go wherever you're at, when you're at the store. It's what lifestyle you live. And a Christian isn't supposed to imitate the lifestyle of their unbelieving neighbors. We've been changed. Well, how so? It doesn't begin with actions. Think about this. He doesn't begin with actions. It begins with our thinking. A Christ follower thinks differently. It's, we do. We think differently. And unlike other world religions, other world religions which tell us, empty your mind, as a good friend of mine says, concentrate on your navel and think of nothing else, Christianity is one where we come in 
and we use our minds. We think. You're not supposed to check your minds out at the door when you come into a worship center or into a Bible study or a public square. We think. In fact, when you're saved, it begins with faith and what? It begins with faith and repentance. And what's repentance? It's a change of mind which leads to a change of action. It's a thought process. When a person believes the gospel and is saved, their entire outlook is changed. Their values, their goals, and especially the meaning of life. Hear me! The meaning of life is changed. We have been given the mind of Christ, 2 Corinthians tells us. Well, what's wrong with the values and the thoughts of someone who's not in Christ? What's wrong with worldly values? This isn't very seeker-sensitive. Their thinking is futile. Futile. Another word would be vain. The Old Testament writer Solomon wrote this. He said, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. That fog on a December day, which all of a sudden is there, and the sun just burns it off, and it's gone. That's what life is like. We chase after it, and it's gone. The stock market can go up and down. It can be gone in a second. The unbeliever doesn't know God, so they don't understand the, even understand the world around them. They don't even understand themselves. If you have a Bible in front of you, I'd actually keep your thumb in Ephesians or a forefinger and turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to come, go back and forth there at least twice. Speaking of those who walk as Gentiles, who walk as pagans, who walk as unbelievers, Romans 1 verse 21, for although they knew God, they knew God, they knew of Him, they know about Him, they cannot understand that, yeah, He's there, but I'm going to block Him out. I can see from creation this didn't happen by happenstance. I can see by my fingers that did not happen by happenstance. We did not come out of the, immortal, the, um, uh, the beginning ooze. That would be the word I want to talk about. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now go back to the book of Ephesians. Verse 18 of our Ephesians passage also reveals the unbeliever's mind. It's also darkened. He writes, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. It's what happens when human beings are estranged from God. We read earlier, what is one of our greatest needs? It's to be reconciled to God so we can know Him. 
The verse relates to a part of the person that's responsible for making lifestyle choices. We would also maybe say the heart. It's the inner control center. It's what I think. It's what I do and why I act. Well, how do they act? They think they're intelligent because they reject the Bible. You know, that's for ancient man. That's that's not for today. They might believe the latest philosophies when in reality they're in the dark. And understand this, men and women, this isn't a temporary condition. It's their state of being. It's where they live. Do you ever understand or wonder why someone is incapable of grasping the truth of the gospel? Let me even get a little closer to society issues. Do you ever wonder why someone can argue to be able to kill the unborn when it's a life? Do you ever understand or can we understand the when someone I want to be called a woman and I'm a man and you're going to call me that? Their hearts are darkened. They're dead, spiritually dead. So when we try, when we think that we might be doing something on social media, when we get on there and argue our case, we're arguing against a case that they don't understand. What we need to be doing is praying, and we need to put God up front. Our Jesus is the one who saves. We need to pray for them to be renewed, for them to understand the new life. Their minds are darkened. They can't think straight about spiritual matters. They're alienated, separated from God. Ephesians 2 explained it well. A condition that we all were in. We all were there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. They have no relationship with their maker and to truly know God is to be in and have a close relationship with Him. It's not to know about Him, although that's part of it, but it's to know Him. Well, ignorance goes hand in hand with spiritual death. One man has said, and I quote, the truth and the life go together. If you believe God's truth, then you received God's life. But you would think that an unbeliever would do his utmost to get out of this terrible spiritual plight. Alas, the hardness of their heart enslaves them. He is past feeling because he has so given himself over to the sin, and that sin controls him. Speaking of feeling or lack of, Verse 19, the first part of it, they have become callous. 
They don't feel shame. They have no embarrassment in what they do. There's no self-control, no public decency. Well, well, why? Verse 19 continues, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Nothing is enough. Nothing is ever enough. And they want more and more, and they need more and more. And that's our society today. And I'm not, I'm not preaching against society. I'm preaching against the hardness of heart, the darkness of their minds. They need to be saved. And they're culpable. Go back to Romans 1, please. Romans 1, beginning at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator rather than the Creator, the creation rather than the, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And we're told don't walk this way. Believers are to avoid the old, dead, futile, darkened lifestyle such as all of us were in. But you're different because you've been changed. A theologian has said the Christian cannot pattern himself after the unsaved person because the Christian has experienced a miracle of being raised from the dead. You say God doesn't do miracles. He does miracles. When you were saved, he, you had a miracle performed on you. You were raised. He continues, his life is not futile but purposeful. His mind is filled with the light of God's Word and his heart with the fullness of God's life. He gives his body to God as an instrument of righteousness and not to sin for the satisfaction of his own selfish lusts. In every way, the believer is different from the unbeliever, and therefore the admonition, don't walk as the Gentiles do. But are, what are we to do? What are we to do? Believers are to adopt the new spiritual lifestyle. Paul details the the spiritual reality of the new birth that took place in our past. This was a one-time happening. You were born again. You were raised from, from dead, from spiritual death, one time in the past. But it goes forward. Again, he asked them to think. Think. His emphasis again on the mind. He writes in verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ. 
Now, if you're looking, you probably need to be looking at the front or you're looking at your Scriptures. I hope that you are. There's a word here that's missing that we might put in there to make it sound like, you know, the sentence is, is missing something to make sense of it. No, it's not. No, it's not. And it's a key to understanding what's being said. Again, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He didn't write it this. This is not the way you learned about Christ. That's not in there. You learned Christ. Now, please hear me. It's possible to learn about Christ, understand when He lived, his, a certain, the situations that He was in. You can know the Bible frontwards and backwards, and you know all about Christ, but you don't know Christ. You can know about someone, but not know them. To learn Christ is to have a personal relationship with Him. Now, most of you know I'm a history buff. I'll just use this small little analogy. I can know all about Dwight David Eisenhower. I've been reading about him. Basically, I'm looking at his leadership skills. The man was amazing. He was a president of the United States. But I can watch documentaries. I can read all about him. But I can never learn him. I can never learn him. Why? Because he's dead. Give me a hint. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. I can learn Him through a personal relationship with Him. The fellowship is based on the Word of God. Peter O'Brien explains, learning Christ means welcoming Him as a living person and being shaped by His teaching. You're hearing what He says and you're also doing it. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Well, when did you hear about Him? I believe this is speaking about when you came to Christ, when you made that profession of faith. Was it during a sermon? Was it during vacation Bible school? Was it during a VBS is Vacation Bible School, excuse me, a Sunday school lesson? Was it at your bedside, your mom and your dad spoke to you about Christ and you turned and believed? You were taught in Him. This means the ongoing instruction through human teachers. This is why the leadership at Rosedale Bible Church encourage you to be a part of a Sunday school class, encourage you to be part of a growth group, encourage you to be part of a Bible study, because you get closer to God through understanding His Word, and you're taught about Him. It's being taught by human teachers, but we're also taught by the Scriptures. And then we get, as the truth is in Jesus… This is speaking about the historical Jesus, the one found in the Gospels, the God-man, the real man living life on earth. And this is why it's important to read the Scriptures for yourself. Don't come once a week expecting someone here to satisfy what you need. 
You need to be in the Word of God, in prayer, in fellowship with Him. Be like a sponge. Soak up everything that you possibly can. The unsaved man is spiritually ignorant and blind, and he cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Therefore, they do not know Christ while the believer grows in their knowledge of Jesus day by day. If you're out in the field, if you're on the road, listen to sermons, listen to music, listen to things about Christ. Warren Wiersbe writes, we have believed the truth and we have received the life. Therefore, we will walk in the way and not walk after the example of the unsaved world. Church, when we have received Christ into our lives, we have received the truth. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the one-time event which goes forward. That's your reality if you're in Christ. And because of this, the Ephesians, we are called, we, the Ephesians and we are called to the ongoing process of complete repentance. We must hear and obey what the Scriptures tell us. But speaking of verses 20 through 24, we have to recognize the reality of what has already happened in Christ with what He is calling His people to do. I wrote this in my notes. This was bold, highlighted, bigger font, underlined, a real change has already taken place if you are in Christ. We have already been incorporated into Christ. We have participated in His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. You are in Christ. This is the believer's spiritual reality. When God sees you, He sees His Son. Thank God for that. That's our position. Yet until He returns, these will not be full, fully realized realities. They won't be fully realized characteristics of, our, of the daily experience of the believer. Why do I say that? Because I still sin. Because I still sin. What changes already happened? What am I talking about? Verse 22 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Well, to put off is written in a way that it means it's something that's happened in the past. We've already put off this. It's been written in the past, and that's your position. We're not that person anymore. We're not that old person anymore more. But there's tension here. There's tension. Because the way that it's written also focuses on the need for the person themselves to put off the old self. John explained it a couple weeks ago how it's written. It's 
It's written in the middle voice, which means we're required to do that. It's something we must do, a choice that we must make, a decision that we are responsible for. We've been placed there, but yet we have to get rid of the old man. At other times, you've heard me describe our salvation maybe as this, already, not yet. We already have these blessings. We already have been saved, but yet we're waiting either by death or Christ coming back for us to have this fully realized. Potentially, we've been seated with Christ. We are a new creation, but we're not yet what we will be. But we still live in this sinful body. I'm not going to say amen. I'm just trying to say we understand we live in this sinful body that has fallen. Although we're de now dead to sin, meaning now we're free from its bondage, we still fail. We don't have to sin anymore. We're not in bondage to that. We're not slaves to that. We're slaves to righteousness. We're dead to sin, but it still hangs on us. Maybe to picture this reality, think about this. Those of you who have kids, have had kids, or were kids, that means everybody in the room, you have given or had your child go and say, you're going into and you're going to take a bath. We, the mothers are going, oh, yeah, right. Well, you take a bath, and let's say it, they take a bath, they empty the water, and you take a bath, and you put the water back in it. They're really clean now, all right? They're not in this bathtub ring. They're clean. They're spotless. They've been cleansed. They've been washed clean. but they go on and put on their old clothes that they've been playing in for two days or bin that you've been working in for a day and a half and then you put those boots on. You know what I'm talking about. They still have that stinking garment hanging on them. They're clean underneath. But that garment is still there. It's clinging. It's hanging on him. Now, it's, even though we're clean on the inside, we need to take the before-mentioned garment and put it, get rid of it. You don't want to hang the garment, which is your old self, around your waist. I want to hang. I, I just want to make sure I might need it. It's hanging on my waist. Or even better, we even took the garment off, but I'm going to throw it in the garage because I might use it again someday. It still stinks. It's still there. It's still rotting. It needs to be done away with. Keeping with the analogy of now, we would take that garment, and you need to take it, and you need to put it in the trash. You need to make sure it close that door and make sure whoever your trash compact, well, not put it in a compactor, your trash delivery service or takeaway service, if it's Varner or whatever, it needs to come, and they need to pick that thing up. It needs to go like this, and it's done and it's gone. That's what we're called to do. The old man still lingers, as does the flesh. 
We must take it off. We must take it off and put it to death. A quick biblical illustration. When Lazarus, Christ's friend, died, Christ could have made it back in time. He could have even said, Lazarus, be healed from the miles away, but he chose to let the man die. Why? So the glory of God would be shown. When Jesus got there, he went to the tomb, and he said, roll away the stone. I'm really going through this rather quickly. Roll away a stone in an old King James Version his sister said, Lord, his body, he probably stinketh. Four days. He had had grave clothes wrapped around him. He was rotting. He was decomposing. And Christ yelled out, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came forth. He was raised again. Picture that. A dead man was raised again. I'm assuming his skin was now pink as a baby's. And he came out, but he still had some grave clothes that were wrapped around him. And what did Christ say? Loose him and let him go. That's a picture. Get rid of what clings to you. Get rid of it. We also must continually address our thinking. And again, this is not a one-time action. It's ongoing. Verse 23, you want to know how we do it? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Romans 12, we understand that. How do we renew our minds? By filling your minds with the thing of God, things of God, by prayer by a good godly friends, by reading the Word, by talking with other believers. And then he says, put on the new self, which is your new identity, which was given to you at your conversions, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's solidarity with Christ. But church, we have to put it on. That's your job. Some seven years before the book of Ephesians was written, there were people who put off their old way of thinking no matter what it cost them. They heard the gospel of Jesus, and they would never be the same. In Ephesus, we understand that the seventh wonder of the world was there. It was built there. It was called the Temple of Artemis also known by the Romans as the Temple of Diana. And history tells us that this temple was the center of much wickedness like those in most pagan religions. Its rituals and practices were but extensions of man's vilest, vilest and most perverted sins. Well, what happened at this place? Well, male and female roles were interchanged. There was orgiastic sex that happened there. Homosexuality and other, sec other sexual perversions were common. 
Artemis herself was considered, it was a self, it was a sex goddess. It was representative in statues and little idols that they made, a cross between like a, a cow and a wolf. Had many udders hanging off of it so people could suckle off of this person. She was served by thousands of temple prostitutes, eunuchs, singers, dancers, priests, and priestesses. Idols of Artemis and other deities were to be seen. They were everywhere. They were everywhere in the markets, and it was big business. They were made of every size, out of every, every and all different kinds of materials, and a special popularity of it was silver. Silversmiths made these idols. It was big business. And Paul's preaching cut deeply into that business. Because the Ephesian silversmiths rallied the populace against Paul and, and the fellow believers. Well, why did they do that? In Acts 19, Luke writes, and I'll name it, he said after Christ's name was lifted up, he said, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These believers, these new Christians, these new converts and these people of the church of Ephesus understood that their new life in Christ meant a new lifestyle. They were willing to stand and be counted. They stood up and they, they burned their books. I'm not calling for a book burning. I'm not saying that at all. But they did something that cost them a lot of money. And it definitely cost them their popularity. But God was honored. Well, after this renouncing of Artemis took place, the whole city turned to Christ, right? 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 No? No. A riot broke out. They dragged Christians into the public square. Paul's convert or cohorts refused to let him go in. No, you will not go there because they would have killed him. They would have killed him. Riot broke out, and for almost two hours, the crowd chanted, and we think we're, we hear some loud things, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Two hours. Then Paul had to leave town. And that's why some years Paul wrote in this letter what we are studying, and I end with this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers.
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, the re- and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, and you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That was their position. They were called to walk and to live differently. So are we. So are you. If you're in Christ, you've been given new life. Walk as you have been called to walk. If you're outside of Christ, He calls you to turn to Him. Turn away from your futile thinking. Trust in what He has done. Believe and be made new. The last question is for the the latter. What are you waiting for? Father, we thank you for the new life that you've given. We honor you. And you are worth every bit of what you are asking us to do. If we have things that we need to get rid of, if our old man still clings to us, may we through your Spirit make a clean break. You give us the ability to do so through your Spirit. Lord God, we thank you for new life. And Lord God, if there is anyone here today who needs to turn to you for life, may they do so by admitting that they have sinned, understanding that Christ lived and died and paid the penalty for that sin on a cross, which was death. But death would not hold him. It could not hold him. He was raised again and now lives to make intercession for us. God, you ask the non-believer, the one who does not know Christ, to turn to him and live. May that take place. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son. Amen.